Hey everyone, before we get started with the show today, I want to tell you about an exciting opportunity. On December 9th, we're going to be hosting our first ever open house soiree right here at Integrity Lash in Pasadena, California. It's going to be from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. and it's on a Sunday, so hopefully none of you are working. It's a great chance to come down, meet us, meet our team, and meet each other. We're going to be providing demos, drinks, appetizers, music, and a cool swag bag full of stuff from our sponsors who are going to be Borbaletta Beauty, Sugarlash Pro, The Lash CEO, and Eyelash Magazine and Dear Lash Love. And really what's cool is Lorena from Dear Lash Love will also be here with her own table selling stuff that you can get your goodies before the holidays. The one thing we need from you is not your money. We need your RSVP. And you can RSVP us at, well, let me tell you this, info at interrogatelash.com. Stop your car, stop riding your bike, stop lashing, whatever you're doing right now, stop. Just sit down, write this down, info at integritylash.com. And actually, even better, take another second to tell your guests. I need another minute. And now, get in your phone and email us. Say, hey, it's Sally. I'm going to be there. And I have 1,500 friends I'm bringing. Awesome. Can't wait to meet all of you. So right now, email us at info at integritylash.com. And I think that's about it. Otherwise, we hope to see you on December 9th around 5 o'clock at our first ever Open House Soiree. It should be awesome, be fun. And now, let's get on with the show. Hi, I'm Bailey, and I work at Integrity Lash in Pasadena, California, and I'm today's guest announcer. You can find me on Instagram at Bailey underscore Integrity Lash. Cue the music. In an industry where most of us spend the majority of our time working alone in a room, we wanted to create a podcast where you can learn, be encouraged, and find a connection with other Lash and beauty professionals. This is the Cast Podcast, and here's your host, Paul Lubers. Coming to you from the City of Roses, this is the broadcast by Lash Professionals for Lash Professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am here with my co-hosts, Tusney and Erica. How are you guys doing today? Doing really great. good this morning. Awesome. And we are very excited today because we have a special guest as always. Not always, but sometimes we don't have guests, but this we're very excited to have Lana. Special guest. From Hello. Lux Uncut <laughs> is with us, and you just heard her voice there. She is really something special in our industry. I don't know of anyone else who started as early as her. She started at 16, four years ago, um, to get into the lash industry, and has been doing it and has been killing it, and is the owner of Lux Uncut. She's been doing lashes full-time, as a full clientele, but is recently making the transition into full-time trainer while doing lashes also and she's been doing amazing work and we're so excited to have her with us here today welcome to the show Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Yeah, we're very excited because we've only recently started interviewing people. We always had that in mind, but we wanted to first kind of do our own little roundtable talks. But since then, we've been uh, fortunate to have some really great guests, and adding you to that list has been a really uh, great pleasure of ours. And we just wanted to get into things with you because your story is quite interesting, and we're going to cover a little bit about your life and what you've been doing and how you got there. But also, we hope we can share a lot of value with our listeners and share tips and things that you've learned along your journey in the last world because actually four years in our industry is actually quite a long time i mean a lot of industries yeah. four years is like you're just starting but in the last world you've been doing last four years you're like an og almost you're like, <laughs> like a veteran yeah veteran so that's how new our industry really is so it's exciting to have you on now we just thought we'd get into it because you've been doing this since you were in high school which i don't know too many people can say that and maybe you want to share what got you excited why did you decide to go into lashes at 16 Yeah, of course. So obviously at 16, not many people have any idea what they want to do with their life. And I was in the savings act boat. I had a few passions growing up that I wanted to implement, hopefully into a career. And those were, I I loved beauty, obviously. I also absolutely loved serving my community. It was something that my family really ingrained in me was making sure that every year we were serving people in a very impactful way. And then I also loved art. I grew up drawing. I come from a family that really dove into the arts since a very young age. And then on top of all that, I also thought that I could somehow also pursue the medical field, hopefully in plastic surgery or injections, because I do come from a family of some doctors, but obviously all of those are kind of all over the board. (laughs) So when I was 16, my mom recommended that I go to beauty school. 
Um, and my high school offered it dual enrollment so I could go to high school and beauty school at the same time. That's cool. And right. It was so cool. And on top of that, it was free. Oh, so yeah. was it related to like, like, um, ROP or whatever they call it where the high school pays for it or it's just part of their curriculum? Yes. What's ROP? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Something occupational something, but it's basically while you're in school. Adult skills. It's like career. Career yeah. plan. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So you yeah. can learn to be a mechanic. You can learn like beauty school stuff and there's other skills in there. So that's, was it actually an ROP program or was it called something different in your neck of the woods? I- I think it was called something different, but yeah, you could be a dental assistant. You can learn how to work on cars. It was all part of the same program. Very cool. That's awesome. That's really sweet. My mother went to a vocational high school when back in the day in the sixties, and that's no, I, you I, mean the twenties. No, oh my gosh, you see my face. Yeah. That was terrible. Hopefully your mom doesn't listen to this. I'm sorry. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Anyway, that's a total bonus because not only are you getting your high school credits, but you're also getting like equipped for your career. So exactly. really lucky. So you must have loved it, I assume. <laughs> yes, it was, it was just a no-brainer. I was like, okay, I wasn't always a big fan of school. I was always ditching class. I just... <laughs> It wasn't interesting to me, and if it's not interesting to me, then I'm not actually listening or learning, Mm -hmm. and beauty school is going to get me out of that and actually give me the ability to dive into something that I was passionate about. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I loved it. I got into eyelash extensions, I want to say three or four months into beauty school, and I kind of just took the ground running with it because I realized it truly does combine all of my passions into one career, and I kind of... It sounds bad, but I kind of got lucky. I, I'm able to help people feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, so serving my community, I'm still a part of something that incorporates beauty and something that tremendously incorporates art. We have to have an artistic eye mm-hmm. when it comes to styling and application and, you know, the whole rundown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's how I got into eyelashes. So was it like a guest speaker come in or instructor? Like, how was it first introduced? Great question. So my mom actually started getting eyelash extensions and she would just bring me along during the appointment. Mm -hmm. So that's how it was first introduced. But I would sit there for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours, and I wasn't too impressed. I was intrigued, but I really didn't know what it took until then my mom recommended that I take a class in LA by the girl who does Kylie Jenner's lashes. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was like, this is great for marketing and it'll really help you promote your business. So I flew out to LA to get trained. And when I was there, I realized that her and I had been in the industry for the same amount of time. Uh, But obviously she reached a higher level of success. Um, But that really inspired me because I was like, okay, we both have only been doing lashes for like six months, but you happen to land Kylie Jenner as a client. And it just made me think like anything is possible. And granted, I am young, but if she could do it, I could do it. So I literally flew home from LA and I started my business. I got, you know, like LLC, got a name and the rest is history. So when you were those first six months, was that mostly you just practicing and learning the craft on your own and then just coming out to LA and getting more kind of refining your skills before you decided to start your own thing? Yeah, that's right. So I mean, <laughs> my poor family, I use them as guinea pigs and I think my mom was really trying to see how invested I was in it before she helped pay for my first training. So yeah, I was doing family members, you know, the rundown I was using like 0.25 J curl, 15 all across. (laughs) What's Uh, wrong with that? I don't understand. (laughs) I think those are great. (laughs) Yeah, but I loved it. It was like therapeutic being an artist, like art pieces take hours Mm. and it's a very slow process. So it was very similar to me, and I really wasn't phased by how meticulous it was and time-consuming and challenging. It was something that I actually gravitated towards. Mm. I used to paint, actually, just with acrylics, but you're so right. It's a process, and you have to go slow, but you know at the end, the time you put into it is worth it, and it creates this beautiful thing, and that's the exact same thing with lashes. Well, we've seen that when we interview people. I'm always asking, do you do crafts? Do you do painting? Do you do any sort of arts? Because we found a very strong correlation that people who do that type of stuff succeed in lashes mm-hmm. because you love that fine motor skills and you don't mind that at first it may look horrible as you're starting out, but over time it's like it's this big 
you know, artistic piece that comes all together at the end, and it's like, wow, that's amazing. It's one stroke, one movement, one stitch, one bead at a time, one lash at a time that creates this dynamic picture. Right. Another thing, too, that I think is interesting that you said that I think a lot of people don't understand about lashing is that you need to be patient. I mean, you said you took six months before you took this other training, and then that's when you started launching your business. I think there's a lot of people who take a, a two-day class or something, and then they want to open up their own business like that next weekend mm-hmm. and don't realize there's a big gap between <laughs> the first time you start learning and the time that you really should be charging for lashes. Right. Yeah, it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Yeah, this is the time to be patient, which is great for you. I mean... Uh, Again, this is the, to your credit, someone who's young, it's not usually a, a associated with young people to be patient. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you had that skill and that embedded, or no, embedded. not embedded, embedded, not embedded, <laughs> embedded in you, so that you, uh, it helped you succeed and all that. That's really cool. What kind of challenges did you face when you were just getting started? Obviously, at 16, I don't know if people took you seriously or if you felt insecure at times working on people who were probably double your age or maybe more than that. And it might have been difficult for you when you're first starting. Yeah, it was very difficult. Before I dive into that, I must say I was given like buffer time from like 16 to 18 before you're like considered an adult. I was given that time to like make mistakes and not have so much pressure. Mm-hmm. So I'm still living at home, but definitely my age. I, in the beginning, was confident with sharing my age because I didn't think it mattered. But then I came across plenty of clients that were extremely uncomfortable. They didn't think I was experienced enough or knowledgeable enough to perform the service. So I actually had one girl who stopped mid-service because she wasn't comfortable and actually left. Wow. How did you handle that? Professionally, I just said, you know, I understand, like, and just reassured her that I was knowledgeable and I do have experience, but that age thing, some people just can't get over. So, I mean, I took it as a loss, but at the same time, didn't. I had to respect the fact that she wasn't comfortable, but I dealt with that. I also dealt with not setting my business up the right way, if there is such thing. Like, I didn't have policies in place. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a booking system. There was a lot of that probably could have made my life much easier in the beginning that I didn't do. But those are mistakes that I'm glad that I made because I learned from them. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like was probably your most difficult lesson to learn in that beginning? Like what maybe there was one client where something just went wrong and you realized I don't have a policy for this. Do you have any anecdotes in that area? Honestly, it's so simple. But the biggest thing was the cancellation and no-show policy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was happening probably at least once or twice a week. And that's a lot of money in a year. It Mm -hmm. adds up. And hard conversations too. Yeah. Right. But when it's in that consent form before they lay down and they can read it and you can go over it, it's like the elephant is no longer in the room and you get past it and that's that and they know it Mm -hmm. and now you can move on. Right. It's like those managing those expectations. You put it out there. It's already assumed. And what I've learned, it's also the way that you handle it, just the confidence going in. Like you just said, it's already in the console. It's like it's already there. Right. When you got started, and obviously age is an issue, for, like for one of your clients, did you ever try to hide it or did you come up with like a storyline that maybe let them think that you were older or how did you manage that or how did you overcome that? And plus, I also like to know where do you get the confidence to do this? Because I was flipping burgers at 16 and that was about as high as I think I thought I could achieve at 16. And obviously you had bigger plans than that. So maybe you could tell a little about your motivation or drive or where you kind of got that. Because I think that's a big step for a young woman to do something like this on her own and start building a business. Yeah, um, I think honestly I was just born this way I'm the oldest child of three Mm -hmm. so I have that like type a personality Mm -hmm. just more of a leader because of that and then also growing up I was always moving around so from like preschool to 12th grade I think I attended 10 schools total oh my gosh wow that's crazy that's a lot of um (laughs) a lot of moving a lot of friends a lot of new friends (laughs) But you know, I had a friend that did that moved from place to place. And in some ways, it really shaped her because she learned this confidence and learned this sense like, you know, going to a new school, all of a sudden, it's like, I can be anybody that I want to be, right? I, I don't know if you had that same kind of experience. Yeah, I did. I just grew to be more and more resilient. So there was no situation that I could be put in that 
would make me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And obviously I hated it growing up. It was really hard, but now it's something that's like implemented into every day and being 16 and starting a business. It wasn't something that I was fearful of or afraid of, but it was something new and different and uncomfortable. But because I've moved so many times growing up, it, that's something that I actually look forward to right. is putting myself in uncomfortable positions and situations so I can learn something new or grow from it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you were kind of used to it. You were kind of used to that situation of being forced to be in a new situation. Out of your element, yeah. really. And I think that's important for people to realize with entrepreneurship, starting this, you really will be out of your element. You're going to not know things. And if you're going to allow all those things to stop you, you're just going to quit. You're never going to take that leap. You're never going to jump in. And so it's important to realize it's okay to you know, be out of control in a sense. It's okay to take chances. And obviously it's great when you have a, kind of the circumstances in your life kind of help bring that out in you and allow you to succeed because of that. But I think for people listening, I think the big thing is be if they're thinking about making that leap or making that change, that go for it and be okay <laughs> that it's going to feel kind of crazy at times. Fail forward. Fail yeah. forward, as we've said before. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. So I remember you telling me that there was a time you were 18, kind of at a crossroads, because you were trying to make a decision to move towards college and trying to balance lashes, or you're going to have to pick almost one or the other. How did that come up? Oh, yeah. How did you deal with it? So I was basically lashing, I want to say part-time. I was in school all day and then I would come home and lash. That was my life for a very long time until college rolled around and I had that decision to do the same thing, try and do lashing part-time and school full-time or just take the risk and just do lashes. But it was something that wasn't a very easy decision College was very expensive, and it's something that my family takes very seriously. So the investment in it wasn't something that I wanted to just throw away. I didn't want to disappoint my family. A lot of my family members, you know, were pushing me towards college. That's how you're going to be successful. You need that degree under your belt. You need a backup plan. That was everyone's biggest thing was I needed a backup plan. So... From August, so from when school started, August to October, this was like a back and forth thing endlessly between that time. And I admit I was scared. I didn't really know what the right answer was because I could see how college is so important, but I could also see the potential in my business at the time. Now, and I wanted to do both, but I knew I couldn't. Sorry, Alana, I didn't mean to interrupt, but when when you could see the difference, like you could see that it was a viable business, were you alone in that? Did the yes? Okay, so so the the people that were supporting you didn't quite grasp what you saw, right? So that's, that no. can be a, a lonely place. It was a lonely place, and actually, I take that back. My boyfriend was always a supporter in my business. Mm-hmm. He was one person that never had any doubts. I had other family members that obviously supported me, but they were also a little afraid for me and wanted to err on the side of caution and push me towards college instead of such a risky decision. So since this was a topic of conversation for so many months, one day I just decided to casually ask my boyfriend. I was like, I really want to stick to lashes. Like there's so much that I can do with this industry. And I came into it at the right time. And it would be foolish of me to take everything that I've built over the last two years in the lash industry and throw it away and put it on the back burner and try and come back to that and expect to be in the same place. Mm-hmm. And I, I just said, I, I want to do lashes. And I think that I could do a lot with it. And he just said, okay, if that's what you think, then you can't go to school. Like he just made it very black and white and was like, you can't do both. You were trying to do both. And I really was, I was waking up for clients from like seven to 9 AM was clients. And then 10 to 4 PM was school. And then five to 9 PM was clients again. And somehow I fit my life into the rest of the time in the day. (laughs) Um, and he's like, you can't keep on doing that. Like something has to give and you have to focus on one thing. And Literally that day, I didn't go back to school the next day and decided to go all in and do full-time in lashes. 
Well, good for you to have uh, your uh, boyfriend behind you like that. That's really great. And that, obviously that impetus or that little catalyst to build off gave you that confidence to go for it. And I guess he probably wanted to see you too, probably a little bit, I'm guessing. Like, <laughs> selfishly, it was like, selfishly. you know what? Yeah, yeah. it's like, you know what? It'd be nice if you didn't have like 18 jobs and you just did one thing so I could see you at night. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that's how it was. And I actually, I hid it from my parents and some family members mm-hmm. from October until like the next August, I would pretend like I was going to school. I would like get my backpack, get my textbooks. But instead of actually going to school, I would just go work on clients all day. Mm -hmm. Was there a fallout from that? Like when you decided either like to come clean or if they found out, or was it a time that you just said, this is what I'm doing? How did that play out? Oh man, they actually... I think they knew, but were playing dumb. I never actually said I'm not going to school. And I never actually said I'm doing lashes full time. Mm -hmm. It was really unspoken. So I didn't really break it to them until I basically moved out. And like I said, they were obviously not supportive. They Mm -hmm. thought it was a terrible, terrible idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that was basically what happened. They said it was a bad idea. They didn't support it. And I went my own way because I needed to surround myself with people that actually did believe in me because it was such a risky decision. Right. And for you at this point, I mean, obviously things have been going well. You've been, I mean, we've been following you for a while and it seems like you've been very busy both in taking clients and doing training. So is there hope that they'll at some point go, wow, look at our daughter, you know, or our family member here is really killing it. She's doing a great thing. She's making a difference. She's, you know, doing the things she loves, between being creative to helping people and serving people, all that. Is there a chance you think that's going to work out for you? I think so, or at least I hope so. Mm-hmm. It's not guaranteed. My parents are pretty prideful people, and for them to admit that they were wrong mm-hmm. would take a lot. But, you know, as sad as it sounds, and a lot of people end up feeling bad for me, it, it was great for me, actually. It made me dive into work harder. You know, I have people now to prove wrong and it just made me work harder and made me want to make them more proud. And as I've realized that it's still not working, I just came to the conclusion that really all that matters is that I'm proud of myself and I'm happy where I am because at the end of the day, you know, I'm 20. I'm only really doing it for me. I don't have a family. I don't have anyone to do it for but myself. No, that's right. And I think it's important to, in the end, you got to do what's right for you. And you can't be living for other people as much as I know it must be tough. I mean, I, I don't know how many other people in this industry have had to, like, not get support from their family on this. I, I'm right. sure it's not the norm. I'm sure right. it's very – or maybe people have reached out to you and said, oh, my gosh, I'm in the same place as you, and I've been struggling, and my husband or my – parents or my family don't support me. Have you found any of that people um, DM'd you or reached out to you in that sense? I have actually. And it was, it's very touching to see that one to realize like I'm not alone and for them to realize the same thing. Mm-hmm. But what's so powerful to me is that I have this opportunity or position to inspire them and motivate them and just let them know, like I did it. I went through it all is good, everything's okay, and you can absolutely do the exact same. That's right. So when that happened, it kind of put that fire under your butt and you had to dig your heels in. Were you already at a good place with your clientele or did you feel like you were on a struggle bus for a little while or, yeah, just if there were challenges in finding new clients or anything like that? Thankfully, no. And that's also something that pushed me so much to commit to lashes was because every single day I was having someone contact me or call me about booking an appointment. So the demand was there. So thankfully, no, I didn't have to struggle with that. I would say the biggest struggle was just financially Mm -hmm. trying to now find a place to live and then somehow still fund my business that was growing, you know, because it takes money to make money. And when Mm -hmm. you don't have the money, you struggle. But that was my, I want to say my only struggle at the time was just trying to figure out how I was going to pay for my life and pay for business. Because something you didn't say that you shared with us, and I think people have seen you talk about, is that you basically were given a, a very short period of time to transition from where you're living 
and you were doing lashes from, I think, at home at the time, right? Yes. If I, and so yeah. you had to basically find a home, a new place to work, and a new place to live in, like, what, three weeks or something like that? Yeah, it was a tight period of time. But, like I said, my resiliency, like, there's no situation to me that I can't go through. And it's something that I realized recently, mm-hmm. obviously. I didn't go into it thinking, oh, I got this. It was very scary and very risky. And I myself in the moment didn't know if I was going to make it out. And I didn't know if it was the right decision until now. Hmm. But yeah, it was super stressful trying to find a commercial space, which I ended up in a hair salon, which was a nightmare with glue. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, you know, finding a place to live, getting roommates, things like that. It's just a lot to take in at one time. Mm-hmm. It sure is. You know, we've, we've all had situations where we're like kind of put to the, you know, in the middle of the fire, right? In the, the fiery furnace. Um, and that time kind of describes where you're at. Can you share with our listeners anything that you latched onto or you focused on to get you through that time? Because we all face situations, you know, with we're worried about our rent or it's just crisis. It's crisis time emotionally. It's crisis time, you know, when just the rubber meets the road. Great question. I learned a lot through that time. I was introduced to the secret Mm -hmm. from my boyfriend's mother. That was something that really opened my eyes to how simple it is to get to where you want to be. No dream is too big or too small. Um, So that really helped me starting to like write down my goals and project things into the universe and just really focus on focusing on one thing. What also helped me during this time was the few family members that I had left that were supporting me because I feel like in any time of need or struggle, you do need some type of support system, Mm -hmm. whether it's friends, whether it's something therapeutic that you turn to, you need something that keeps you grounded and keeps you sane. So I had family members at the time that were believing in me and that, that was enough finding a support system and really focusing on what I wanted and doing all that I could to get to where I wanted to be. I mean, when I say that, I was probably a little extreme, but (laughs) I think the most amount of days I worked in a row at the time was 32 days. Days off. Seriously, there was nothing that was going to get in my way of where I wanted to be. So I think that's just my biggest advice is find your support system, really focus on what you want to do. And if you want it bad enough, you're going to work hard enough to get it. So just stay grounded and just focus on that end goal and everything that it takes to get there. It'll be worth it. It'll be hard probably, but yeah, it's not as easy as, oh, you just have to work and then hopefully you get there. You have to be able to take risks and make sacrifices. Yeah. I think one of the things I loved what you said, and uh, I hear this all the time with people who are, you know, very successful is really writing out their ideas and their plans and making goals. And then, you know, the other thing too is telling people about it. Don't just keep it to yourself. Hold you accountable. That will hold you accountable. So, and I think like you said, for you, you kind of planned it out. You said, this is what I got to do. You thought it through. And then the next thing I always hear is grit people who have grit, which is really intangible. I mean, you you don't know you have it until you start living, I think. (laughs) Or tough times come, and then those who, uh, the only difference between success and failure is the person who failed gave up. You know, it's like, well, the other person just refused it. So I don't, I will do this till it works. And like you said, you work 32 straight days. 32 straight days. I mean, that's like a marathon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and people who don't have grit won't do it. They'll just say, no, it. I just, you know, I need a few days off. And, and then they find out things start stumbling, don't work out, and then they get discouraged. And after a while, they just quit or move on to another challenge. And that says a lot about you to have just not only just the plan, but to have the tenacity to stay in there and fight for it. That, kudos to you for that, because I think a lot of people with that kind of situation might have just opted out and gotten an hourly job at a local Denny's or something and just said, well, it wasn't meant to be. You know, I thought I had this big plan, but I need a paycheck. Right. 
it, it also kind of shows, like, I don't want to say pride. It's a matter of like, I'm going to show you that I can do this. It's because it's like okay. you believed in yourself mm-hmm. so much. You And it didn't matter that people were saying, I don't think you can do this, or you have a hard situation. You had the grit to say, I'm going to do it. And it's almost like you can transfer that challenging situation into a catalyst. So that is the reason why I'm going to make this happen. So that's a really cool part of your personality. Oh, thank you. But but th- that is what it takes. You know, work-life balance doesn't come until you've actually gotten to a point where you can balance it. Mm-hmm. For the beginning stages, it's mostly work and then life. <laughs> it's thrown in the back burner for a little bit and then you'll get to that point. That's right. Yeah, we think, hear a lot of people saying yeah. like, oh, you really need to take time out for yourself. You really need to take breaks. You need to exercise. And, and It's their time. first week of the job. You know, right. They started out. You know, it's like, wait a minute. It's- well, of course you need those things, but you've got to have a little bit of a snowball you know, in order to get that momentum. Yeah, there's a place and time for everything. And I think sometimes you see people just starting out. It's like, how long have you been doing lashes? Oh, for about three weeks. Well, well calm down. Okay, you know, right now I know it's a lot of work but just hang in there. It's been only three weeks. After maybe a year or six months or something like that, then you start seeing hopefully enough clients come in that you can pull back a little bit and have that balance that you've been aiming for. Alana, how would you encourage somebody who is just starting out and is a little bit overwhelmed by the massive amount of work and commitment that it's taking? My advice for them is to, well, first know that everyone that they're looking up to or comparing themselves to have been in the game for longer and have, you know, put in their blood, sweat, tears into it. So that comparison game is dangerous and to never do that because you'll always lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to, to just keep your head down. You know, like I said, you have to take risks and make sacrifices. It comes down to how bad do you want it and what are you going to do to get there? And, you know, it varies per person what exactly that is, but you have to give it your all. You, you can't do part time and you can't think that it's some side job and you actually have to take it seriously. Dive into your education, practice to death. That's what makes you better. It's actually getting that muscle memory down so you can focus on more of the artistry side of things. And just enjoy the process because when you're in it, it's super stressful and it's really scary, but stop focusing on what's next and the future and comparing yourself and just work on you and what you're doing in the moment and the rest will follow. Like life will take its toll and if it's meant to be, it'll be as long as you're putting in what you should be, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think I love the whole idea. Don't get into the comparison game because it's a game you'll always lose. I think that's actually really um, solid wisdom because I think that in the age of Instagram, that's all we do, I think we do, is sit online and compare and look and envy other lash stylists. So My favorite saying about that is comparison is the thief of joy. Oh, wow. Ooh, that's like, let that sit for a minute. Like, great. it just steals it's your fire. It steals steal. your joy. It steals everything. And I think what people don't realize is you can never be what you're seeing out there because it's not you. Mm-hmm. And so what people are really doing when they're comparing is they're not digging deep enough inside themselves to find out, like, what is my who am I online? You know, like how can I share my personality and share who I am instead of trying to just emulate everything that they see? Mm -hmm. And I feel like you did a really good job making your presence known on social media. Of course, you're from the generation. I'm on the later end of the generation. And I don't, I don't exist in this generation. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, you grew up with it much more than I did, but it's been such a huge part of our lives, like in the forefront. But I just wonder if that came naturally for you or if you thought was any part of the trainings that you did or, yeah, I want to hear about your social media strategy. I can't, I'm turning into you, Paul. I can't talk. Social media strategy. Social media strategy. It's a big word. Three big words. Anyhow. (laughs) It actually, it came from me when I was... 13 or 14, 
I grew my personal Instagram page to, I say like five, 6,000 followers, which at the time, I mean, that's that, my gosh, it's almost like seven years ago. That, that's a lot of people. Yeah, on that's a lot of people. So before I knew of like the algorithm, which is something now at 13, I was just obsessed with Instagram and social media. And I think it was just trial and error and figuring it out myself. Something that I figured out at that age was I would post a picture like in the morning or at night and I wouldn't get as many likes. But when I posted my picture during a time that I thought more people were active, which is like lunchtime or when people are coming home from school, I would get more likes. And that's actually something now that's an actual thing with the Instagram algorithm is focusing on the times of the day that your followers are most active to get the most engagement and more most out of Instagram. So yeah, it's something that luckily I figured out at a young age. Yeah, no, and it served you really well. And what are some, I mean, for you, you, I'm sure spent time looking at other people doing stuff on Instagram and we'll transition and Erica made the perfect move there to move into <laughs> Instagram stuff, uh, you know, and talking about social media, which is, I think something that everyone knows that you really do well. What are some things you see other people out there doing that you're just like, they're not getting it. They don't understand what's going on on Instagram and social media. The biggest thing for me, I would say, is overposting. Just because truthfully, not everyone wants to see what you're doing every single day on their feed. Mm-hmm. Maybe an Instagram story. I think those are, are better to do daily. But overposting and not being personable with mm-hmm posts. So when it's very vague or I don't see like an overall aesthetic on your page, I'm not connecting. So Mm -hmm. there's a huge disconnect with that and overposting. Those are, I think, the two biggest mistakes that I see on Instagram today. I think for you, one of the things I noticed, I went back and looked at your feet or your wall and look at your stuff regularly, but I was really amazed. Like you're totally dead on about the over, not overposting because there were times in the last six months I was looking where you would go three weeks between a post and yet you would still, you come on and 300 people would engage with you on a post, which I think is counterintuitive to everything that we've heard about Instagram. Like you need to be consistent, you need to be regular and that's how you're going to get that engagement. Here you are sometimes waiting long periods of time between and then when you do post, it's like everyone's so excited that you posted that they jump on and respond to you. Yeah, because she, you always do your stories, I feel like. So people always, you know, you're in their mind and then it's sort of like Christmas morning when you post because they're like, ooh, what's this going to be? And then you engage a lot too, I've noticed. Yeah. I feel like that's really important. That's- yeah, what you give, you you gain. So if you aren't commenting on other people's posts and you aren't actually genuinely engaging with other people, they're not going to do the same Mm -hmm. with you, which is why I think that I'm able to achieve this engagement that you guys are talking about because I respond to every single comment. Even if someone comments on a picture from six months ago, I'm commenting Mm -hmm. back Mm -hmm. and I respond to every DM genuinely. So I, I take my time, I designate time out of the day to make sure that I'm actually having a conversation with those that follow me and actually giving the time to get to know them better. Do you right now go out and seek people to and look for stuff to post or to comment on much? Or is it you're getting so much feedback coming to you now that it's hard to, you know, now make the extra time to go out and comment on other people's stuff? No, I still take that extra time because I've actually made really, really good friends unintentionally doing that. And it's incredible with like who you can connect with on this platform because we are such a small community and I feel like we, we have a tight knit community Mm -hmm. that we end up connecting on this platform and being a source of whether it's inspiration, motivation or help. Mm -hmm. So I like to give that to people. And I also really enjoy having such a support system on Instagram alone where I can send a message to another educator and ask them their views on this or how they could help me on something. So yes, I still take the time to do that because I actually truly enjoy it. Very cool. And how much time would you say you spend on a day? Because I think sometimes people don't know, it's not something you take five minutes a day and feel like you're going to have this great, you know, 
following or great interactions online if you don't take the time to do it. So I'm assuming you probably, I don't know if you have a scheduled time or if you just kind of do what you wear in between things, you just keep squeezing it in. How, what's your approach with that? I think it's gotten worse over time. I'm probably, I'm embarrassed to even know. I have no idea. I'm glad that I don't because it's <laughs> such a high uh, number. But in the beginning, when I was growing my Instagram, I did do just that. I would schedule time throughout the day. I would schedule three times throughout the day, either 30 minutes to an hour. And I would just connect. I was on the explore page. I was searching hashtags. I was following as many people as I could. I was messaging and commenting on as many things as I could. And then after doing that, I think I did that for maybe six months to a year. I then didn't have to do it as much because I had engagement already and I had a following already. So now it's not as much, but I'm still definitely on there as much as I possibly can without spending my whole day on Instagram. And I think that's the big key there. A lot of people are always looking for those hacks, right? They're always like, what can I do to get followers? And they don't realize it, for you, it was like six months to a year of just going out and interacting with people. And that's not really, doesn't even sound fun for a lot of people. They're like, oh, really? It's like, that's the work you got to do if you really want to get out there and get people to follow you and engage with you. Is you got to make the choice first to go out there and do it. And then hopefully right. you're making comments that, you know, actually you're more than just a heart. Yeah, I think if you think about it, like you're building a community. You're not just like, oh, I'm doing this just to get another follower, just Mm -hmm. to get more likes. But you want that engagement and you're building a community and you're looking at the end game. Yeah, and that turns into real friends, like you were saying, which is Yeah, it'd be like trying to be a popular kid around the school, I guess, and think you're going to be popular by just going up to everyone, shaking their hand once and going, hi, (laughs) hi, (laughs) hi. And then you just walk away. I don't understand why everyone loves me. I'm amazing. That's a good example. Well, Gary V, he's somebody that we we like to follow. He's got a term for this. You know, he it's just the daily in and out of chopping the wood and carrying the water. That's it's Seth like, Godin, by the way. That's oh, not good. Gary I'm v. mixing my heroes yeah. up. Okay, so it's kind of the same thing. It's like every day you just got to do it. Yeah, do the hard work. Uh, no one knows how much work it really takes to get where anyone gets. I mean, I'm sure most people think, look at your stuff and go, I just wish I could be you. I wish I had all those followers and that engagement. And they don't realize that it didn't happen overnight and it wasn't something that you did half-heartedly. You had to pour a ton of energy to make it happen. Right, yeah. If it was easy, everyone would do it. And, and trust me, my boyfriend, he's like, you have to put your phone down. Like, you don't have to comment <laughs> to them. He's like, you're going to get to a point where you can't comment back to everyone. I'm like, well... That day isn't today because I'm more than willing to comment back to everyone. And even if I'm getting four comments, I'm I'm commenting back four times. If I get 50, there's no number right now that's too high for me. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice on hashtags? I know this is the big thing. A lot of people don't know how to use them or afraid they're doing too many. I don't know if you've played with them a lot, that you've kind of built up your own philosophy or your own idea on how you should use hashtags. Yeah, this is actually something I discuss in my courses. Hashtags are definitely something you have to utilize on an everyday basis. And it varies depending upon your target client. So if you are an artist and you're looking for clients, when it comes to hashtags, my best recommendation is hashtagging brands. Because there are some Mm -hmm. clients out there that are a little snooty with their brands. So they just want Borbaletta. They just want EDL. So they're searching that hashtag to find you. And then as well, um, hashtagging your surrounding cities and then lashes. So Arizona lashes, Utah lashes, and then any city surrounding you, you put that there and then finish it with lashes because that's actually how clients are finding lash artists nowadays. Uh, at least that's what I notice where I am. I don't ever have a client that, or a student that doesn't find me on Instagram. So for you, it's been a great place. You've, you, you utilized Instagram in a great, powerful way to get your clients when you first were starting a couple years ago with your own business, right? Right, right. I only use Instagram. Truly, I've never used Yelp or what, what is it, Groupon. I only use Instagram because it's free advertising and it's a platform that everyone's on. Now, you mentioned that, you know, to put the brand in the hashtag like EBL or Borboletta. Mm-hmm. Now, are you finding that people, your client base or the, the people who are seeking you out, 
are educated in that way. They're aware of the different lash brands and they're seeking somebody, basically the brands out. Yeah, not many, but some. I live in an area where people are very vain <laughs> and snobby. So I mean, the I, United I, States? I, I, see no. <laughs> I see that more often than not. Mm. Um, they're requesting a certain brand. Um, but even if they're requesting a certain brand, it's enough to get them in the door, and then I can then educate them on what lashes are used to mm. achieve one look. Right. But, yeah, hashtags are your best friend. Stories are also your best friend, which I briefly mentioned earlier. When you post a story, more people are seeing that than a post. Do you guys know that? I actually, I mean, I know I mean, if you're following, do people who you don't follow you, do they still see your story or is it only followers that see your story? Only followers see your story. But the way the Instagram algorithm works is initially, depending upon your engagement, since it's changed, Instagram's only showing your picture to, I think, 10 or 20 percent of your followers. Oh, wow. Not many, but your stories are seen by all of your followers. Oh. Uh Do you know by this, because I've noticed this with the story, do they tend to put the people you see watch the stories the most higher up in the rating, you know, that top bar on your list? Does it work that way where Instagram basically rewards you if you get seen a lot more by, you know, your followers, I guess? Um, are you saying like when you view who's seeing it, the people at the top see it the most? Yeah, I've just seen, it seems like when I go to my Instagram and I look, it seems like as we're talking right now, I went, no, I notice that certain people tend to be right first on that storyline where I guess if I skip them, they'll go down in rating on who I see, I guess, is that's what I'm wondering. I don't know if you know about that or not. I don't know if that's fact, but it's something I myself have noticed. So I can't confirm or deny, but it is something <laughs> I've seen as well. Yeah, you're, on, you're on trial right now. <laughs> I do not recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, who do you follow for inspiration? Because obviously you have your own style, and I think everyone loves it. Uh, I've never heard or seen anyone not be impressed by what you post and how you post. And uh, maybe you, you're just you know, this creative genius in, uh, in a void by yourself, or maybe you do look to other pages and find people that inspire you to kind of create the content that you do. I follow a lot of fashion designers and fashion pages more than anything else. I get most of my inspiration from, from that. So like when you see my kits, the inspiration that I got from those is Chanel and St. Laurent boxes. Mm-hmm. That's what I created, but for lashes. So I like to incorporate the two into what I do. Your boxes, I just have to say, I mean, your kits are so beautiful. I mean, I want to say they're revolutionary because they're completely different than anything that we've seen in the past. You know, everyone is used to those little kits and the makeup kits. Yeah. And we've been guilty of, of using those, those dreaded things. But when we took a look at your, you know, when you kind of unveiled it, we were just all completely blown away by how gorgeous they were. Well, thank you. Well, yeah, a lot of time and designing went into those. It didn't take a short period of time, unfortunately. I think you said it took one day, right? Wasn't it like one day? (laughs) How long did it take? It actually, it took me like a year and a half total to like create the manual and finalize the kits, the box, the design of everything. That's a labor of love. It is. It's so much fun though, incorporating, you know, our artistic side of things and figuring out how we can create a more innovative product for our industry because it's still so small. It has plenty of room for that. And I'm going to predict that everyone's going to copy you on this, by the way. <laughs> I think <laughs> everyone's going to start having these cool now like boxes or presentation tools. If you haven't looked, just go to her page and look it up. It's in there and you'll see this. It's beautiful <laughs> with the book and, and the way it opens and the ribbon and everything that's in it. It's, it's laid out in a much more elegant and kind of aesthetically pleasing way than the typical makeup box, which is... It's a complete upgrade for yeah. us. It really is. Even your certificates, when I saw the wax seal, 
because I use those on our wedding invitations. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what a good idea. Yeah. Like, of course that makes of sense. Of course. And we're going to steal that too, by the way. We're going to have to start using <laughs> wax seals at some point because it's such a cool idea. You really have done some nice things that really, I think, raise the aesthetic. We're really crushing on you hard here, but yeah. <laughs> um, we, you do have a very unique aesthetic and it just commands attention. So kudos to you. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Another thing, too, I want to ask about social media, and then we'll maybe transition to one more topic before I think we're getting close to time here. But with uh, social media, is there any other social media that you would recommend or have you, you know, dabbled with and tried outside of Instagram? Uh, I've tried Snapchat. I thought maybe that would be a personal way to connect with people. Mm-hmm. But the reality of the situation is that people want only one place to go to to mm-hmm. see everything. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, granted it's changed now with television, but it used to be the same thing with TV. Like people aren't wanting to go to Netflix and Hulu, even though that's something that's changed now, people want one platform to see one thing and get it done and over with. They don't want to hop around Mm -hmm. too much, Mm -hmm. but Instagram incorporates that. They're like very similar to YouTube now with IGTV. Mm -hmm. They have the stories just like Snapchat. They have the posts and the captions just like Facebook, but more with pictures. So Instagram is the only thing I suggest, and it's the only way I personally find my business and my clients. So it's what I recommend for everyone. Yeah, I think it's smart. And I, I really loved Snapchat. I think like two years ago we were totally into it. But no one can find you. I mean, unless they literally go to – actually, I was using Instagram for people to find our Snapchat page, which I thought was kind of ironic. And, <laughs> and then, of course, Instagram came out with Insta Stories, and I think that just killed Snapchat. It was like, okay, what's the point? Why post twice? And I get 90 you know, people watching my story on Snapchat, and we get hundreds of people following us or watching our story on Instagram without even trying. So it just became an obvious choice. Mm-hmm. Just Instagram. All right, so let's move on. One more thing I thought we could talk about, and we'll see how far this takes, and that is talking about you really transitioning from lashing into training because that obviously is something that you just recently came out, and I know a lot of people would love to go into training. I mean, obviously, the margins are better, and it's, also people just like to share. Some people just love the idea of teaching and instructing and helping others because that's part of their DNA. And so it's something that I know in the hair world, a lot of people want to be a platform artist and want to be a trainer and be a brand rep and all that. And I think the lash world is kind of following down that same path. What was it for you? What made you move more in that direction? And then after that, making sure about how you're making that transition right now, I believe, because I've never seen a post talking about how you're going to change things with your clients. You were apologetic, but you said, I just can't keep taking as many clients anymore because I'm moving more into training and making sure then how you're going about doing that. Yeah. So to start, I got into training myself for two reasons. One, when I was starting out, I really didn't have many people that were open with sharing information, truly down to what curl is that? They, they weren't sharing it. It was like this big secret. Yeah. So I, so I ridiculous. To, right? Like the curl, you're not sharing too many secrets with that, but I, I wanted to change that and make things a little more open and less secretive. I love it. And then I realized myself after many trainings that trainings could improve drastically down to the experience, to the information shared. So those are what got me into it. And when I started training, I did have that mentality where, oh, everyone can do it. Like if everyone's doing it, it's pretty easy, right? But it really is not. I have like such a new found appreciation and respect for teachers Mm -hmm. because it is not easy and not everyone can do it. And I learned that very shortly. I I thought, okay, I, I know how to do this and this is how I explain it. And this is how I'll tell the student. And that's that, like they're gonna get it when that's incredibly incorrect. With teaching, you have to have like 10 different ways to teach one thing, Hmm. 10 different explanations for one thing because not everyone can grasp it in the one way. You have to also be so patient you know, it, it takes a while for some people to grasp new information and grasp the new technique. And you have to be patient and inspiring and motivating enough to help that student get to where they need to be. You can't just throw it at them and expect, okay, if my work's done, right. I'm, I'm okay. Right. 
And you need to be encouraging too, because when people are learning, everyone feels vulnerable in that moment because we all like to be in control. It being in control in some ways it kind of defines us. So when you take a step to be vulnerable to say, I don't quite know, I'm really wobbly on this, it takes a lot of encouragement. And as an instructor, you need to speak into that part, like you said, to inspire and just to, to be patient, to say, it's okay, you're going to struggle and it's okay. Right. Yeah. It's a long process, but those are things that I've found with training that not everyone is capable of doing it. It goes back to like athletes. You can be an incredible athlete, but a terrible coach Exactly. So is cut out to teach. Right. It's like if you, you know how to swim and then you, you think about trying to teach somebody how to swim. It's like, even if you told them to read a book on swimming, it's completely different when you get in the water. Completely different. Yeah, I, I can't swim. I don't know. That's he just, uses I just water I, wings. No, I, yeah, he can swim. I, no, I have He's little just... floaties on my arms. And I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Just, dad jokes. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's a totally <laughs> dumb dad joke. Oh gosh. Oh, this is. And, and then I think you mentioned uh, clients, right? Yeah, the transition it, that you've been making. So it was very difficult, and it, it was something that I knew was coming for quite some time now. I knew that it was another situation where I can't do both full time. Something mm. has to give. I was super stubborn, though. I was like, no, I'm, I can teach full time and I can train and I can have clients full time. Like, no questions asked. I can do it. But I realized I couldn't. And trainings, not only is it good money. I mean, that's not what it's really about for me. It's more so the fact that I can make an even bigger impact mm -hmm. that way. Like I have a set amount of clients and that's all I have. Like that's all I, I max mm -hmm. at a certain amount, but with educating, I mean, the sky's the limit. I can train as many people as I possibly want to. So with the transition, making the decision was hard, but the hardest part was cutting the clients because mm -hmm. I have spent four years growing my clientele to where I want it to be only to cut it. How I did it though on Instagram, I made it sound like the bachelor where I was like, you get a rose, you get a rose. You get a <laughs> but I was a little bit more professional about it. I sent out a mass email to all of my clients saying that there was going to be a price increase. The amount of days that I work was going to cut down drastically and gave them a warning. Yeah. And then I expected a lot of people weren't going to be a fan of that. So I knew a lot of people were going to fall off. And then I reached out to the clients that I wanted to stay privately in a completely different forum and then went from there. Cause obviously you can't just tell someone I'm not going to take you as a client just because. So that's how I did it. It was hard and it was really sad, but it was necessary. Right. It had to happen. Because by doing that, now you actually have more reach more influence, more opportunity, like to reach a greater amount of people for our industry. Right. And that's what I, I realized. I have so much more time to focus on more important things, for lack of better words. Granted, my clients are important, but they do suck up more time than teaching does. Teaching is it's a two-day course. So you have five days to do whatever if you're not going to train for the rest of the week. And I'm actually really looking forward to it, as sad as it is for me every day to think about all the clients that I'm cutting, I get to focus on learning ways to expand my business, to change certain things within my business. I can read books about business as lame as that sounds, but mm -hmm. I'm actually really mm -hmm. looking forward to. That's not lame. It's <laughs> smart. It's smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a necessary evil. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. I mean, you, none of us come out of the womb knowing how to do business. In fact, most of us um, become accidental business owners when we start our own last company. School companies. of yeah. hard knocks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Start learning now so you don't make, I mean, we've made some major drastic mistakes in our business that really have uh, hurt <laughs> us at times. And it's just something you just, you know, you look back and you have to grow from it. If you can learn it ahead of time, um, you'll be avoiding a lot of pain and suffering. So that's good for you. Definitely read. read. Well, that's why we're doing this podcast, you know, and that's why we're having, you know, people like you on is because we want people to learn from our mistakes so they can right. be more equipped. Now. Right. I wasn't fully, I'm sorry, for one second, I think I checked out and I went to Candyland or something, but <laughs> there, I was just checking, did you raise your prices drastically in yeah. any way? Yeah. yeah. So how much, what was the jump? What did you, um, 
How far well, did you take it, I guess? Th- disclaimer, Arizona is a place that the cost of living is fairly affordable. So our pricing cannot be how it is in California, like Miami, where you're charging $150 for a fill. So I'm not there yet, but the, mm-hmm. the jump was 110 for a fill to 135 okay. To me, it was that drastic. Mm-hmm. But to others, it was. But mm-hmm. that's intentional. I don't want yeah. people to like the price increase. Yeah, mm-hmm. you need to shed people at and, this point. Well, so for you at this point, do you feel like, I know you said you're going like from 50 down to 15 was your goal. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's already happened or are you going to have to do another price increase to dump more? Because we found we raised our prices four times in two years. Wow. And, and uh, we went from charging basically around $45 an hour for a service up to $81 an hour for a service. So we basically doubled our rate in two years. And so now it feels like it depends on how long you're in, but it's between 121 and 162. And because, and even then, I still think we're undercharging for what we do. But that said, mm-hmm. that probably everyone feels that way. Um, for you, do you feel like, are you losing enough? Or do you think you may have to do another price bump just to continue to move people off your schedule? I think that I'm okay where I'm at. Things will change more so come January 1st. So I told them prices would increase November 1st. Mm-hmm. And then I would be changing my days of working to two days a week. Okay. January 1st. So I think that'll be like, I'll learn more then. But for now, I'm I'm really happy with where I'm at because trainings are basically sold out. I only have one class left for the year. So my schedule's figured out. I can transition into working less, but not too much less to the point where I'm like, what do I do? Mm -hmm. But I'm happy where I'm at. I love flashing. I will never stop flashing. It's just, I can't lash as much. Yeah. Yeah, you were doing like six, seven days a week, right? You were working around the clock, it seemed like. And probably your boyfriend yeah. again is like, okay, so uh, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> yeah. Well, thankfully, he's so supportive. Like, I will say I'm working like 9 to 7 p.m. He'll have like dinner ready. Like, he gets it. He's super supportive and wants me to do all that I can do when I can. That's awesome. Great. By the way, let's get a name for your boyfriend so we give him a shout out. <laughs> Um, his name's Andy. All right. Way Yay, to go, Andy. Andy. <laughs> you the man. You the man. Um, well, I have a few more, a couple little quick questions, I think, just to ask you as we wrap this up. I just want to know if you had any books or podcasts. Now that you're talking about reading, maybe you've been thinking about books or have read some books this year that you felt like really influenced you or encouraging. And maybe any podcasts that you would recommend other our listeners should uh, follow, besides our podcast, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, I... Don't know of any podcast besides the obvious flash ones like yours mm-hmm. as well. Books, I'm terrible. I don't read as much as I should, but I'm looking forward to diving into a few books. The one that I can think of off the top of my head, I have literally a list of books that I want to read mm-hmm. this year. It, it, I think it's called You Are Badass. Oh, by Jen Sincero. I think that's how you yeah. say your last yeah. name. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, sorry. You know what really helped me? Because I always have a lot of books I want to read too, is I just do audiobooks. Yeah. And you can bookmark it on a section that like really spoke to you that you can go back and maybe write down. So I listen while I'm doing clients and mm-hmm. I get through so much more content that way. So, cause I love to read, but when I'm done, I'm like, I've been looking at lashes all day. Last thing I want to do is like read words on a page. Yeah. So I would suggest doing that because you just get through so much more and then, yeah, you can go back and bookmark those things and very I didn't know cool. that. That's cool. I didn't know about bookmarking. That's actually real cool. I'll have to try that. Yeah, because I just listen while I do clients. So You're so badass. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Learned it from Jen. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's a good idea. But that, that's the only book that I am really excited to work on. The rest are a little more like nitty gritty and, and educational yeah. and very informative. But yeah, hopefully I'll have a, a better list of books to recommend in the future but for now that's all i got <laughs> that's right no, no no problems i mean it's like anything you know it's a new muscle probably it sounds like it's at least it's on your radar it's something you know you're going to do and um from what i've seen from your past when you decide you want to do something it sounds like you usually do it so good for you <laughs> um, Thank now you. yeah now if you could go back four years and talk to yourself you know just starting out what would you tell yourself as you are now four years into this lashing kind of journey Oh my gosh. I would tell my 16 year old self to take it easy, to not stress as much because though I am 20, I stress about the most ridiculous things. And I'm a little too hard on myself for how old I am. I have plenty of life to live. So I would tell myself that. 
I would also tell my younger self that things are going to get even harder than you could ever imagine, but you've already been through a lot. So it's nothing you can't handle because in the moment, in the heat of the moment, there was a lot of times where I'm like, I just can't do it like this. I'm not cut out for this. I'm not strong enough for this. It's so hard. But I would tell myself that it's nothing that I couldn't handle because there's nothing that's put in your path that you can't overcome. Right. I um, I don't know. I have a saying like the story is not done yet. It's not finished. And that kind of leaves room for hope, basically. For new chapters. For new chapters, right? And, and I believe in a God that um, works in all things, you know, for our best. And it's like that, you know, when I think about the story is not over yet, and I think about that promise that he works in all things for us, it's, it's hopeful. So that's an encouragement. Mm-hmm. I agree. Now, last question, well, actually two more questions, but the second <laughs> one, the second one's really easy to get through. This one I want to, maybe we'll see if, if, I don't know if you, at your age, if you even thought of this yet, because this is something that I don't think a lot of people think. And that is what kind of legacy do you hope to leave in our industry? Uh, in, in my opinion, when people leave behind a legacy, it isn't intentional. They're doing their absolute most in the time they have on earth, and they just so happen to leave behind something. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it's something that's notable and, you know, lives on for a long time. So when I think about that question, I just hope that I'm able to do that all that I can in the time I have here on earth and that it's a good thing and that it it paves the way for more people to create something even better, Mm. be more innovative than, than I was. And hopefully whatever I leave behind and if it is a legacy that people follow it and then create their own, that's even better or bigger. So that's, that's my only hope. I'm not sure that I'm really even thinking of it, like you said, Mm -hmm. but I don't think legacies are like intentionally left behind. So I'm not trying to plan that perfectly. I just hope Mm -hmm. that it's something good. No, that's great. No, I I think you're actually dead on something. I don't think a lot of us do think about Mm -hmm. what we're going to leave as our legacy. We're too caught up in the moment a lot of times. So Mm -hmm. it's a tough one, but you're right. I think if you think, you know, trying to make an impact and touch people's lives and and I love it, inspire other people to even move beyond what you've done. I think that's a great thought. Um, I guess that's about it for us. So what we'd like to know is how can people find you? If they haven't already found you before, it sounds <laughs> like they should know what, where, what website and your Instagram handle and all that. Yes. Yeah, so it's very easy. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm only on Instagram. It's just Lux Uncut. My website as well is just luxuncut.com. And then anyone that wants to directly contact me, let's say via email, it's Lana at Lux Uncut. Very easy, very to the point. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lana, for coming on and being so generous and sharing a lot of your life with us. And vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Thank you so much for choosing me to be on the podcast. Oh, you bet. No, it was an easy choice. I think you contacted Erica or she contacted you. I think I contacted you. her. Yeah, so I think it was really wow. easy. And we saw you uh, with Shelby before and heard your podcast with her and just fell in love with you. And uh, you've been uh, wonderful to come and join us in our. So thank you so much. Thank you. We'd love to continue this discussion online via social media. Please follow us on Instagram at Integrity Lash and at Lashcast podcast if you have any questions suggestions or feedback please dm us at lashcast podcast that's where we love to interact with our listeners please subscribe and review and then share our podcast with your friends if this program is helping you and inspiring you please tell everyone we really would appreciate that on behalf of our engineer Britton, my lash experts erica and tusney as well as our special guest lana i want to thank you for taking some time to listen Keep on lashing and remember, you have a friend in the lash industry.